Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, I have an important question for you because sure. I feel like I'm on a different side of, of a very important issue than mm-hmm. like, everyone that I know that I talk to about this. And I'm very curious to see if this is a united podcast or a divided podcast. Uh, we had Daylight Savings Time this week. and. Yes. I am perfectly okay with daylight savings time. I I like daylight savings time. I like the fact that it's not dark until like seven o'clock in the morning. So, uh, where how, where do you fall on this? Because dark at four thirty, not p.m., not a problem for me. If you know it's actually light when I'm supposed to get up. No, I'm very much the same way. Um, I like. The fact that it's dark at 4.30, um, and I like the fact that when I'm waiting for a bus now in the morning, I don't need a flashlight mm-hmm. <laughs> to get the bus driver's attention. <laughs> um, to be like, please come and stop here and don't drive past me. Um, but I do know that like for a lot of people, this is not a great time of year. Um, it messes up circadian rhythms and like it can cause various sort of health and mental health issues. Um, I just experience all those things during the summer when it's bright outside all day until like 930 and then I can't sleep. Um, so I get the inverse of seasonal affective disorder. Um, my mood ticks up a lot more once it starts getting dark at 4.30. So I'm glad. It is not the worst day of the year for me, as it is with a number of people, including someone who threw a party that a friend of mine went to here in Tacoma, that it's the worst day of the year party that they have on the um, this, the switchover. Can't we all agree that the worst day is when we lose an hour? Like, the the gaining an hour is not the worst day. <laughs> Well, I do think that, like, the general sort of, like, time shift thing is a bunch of nonsense, and we should probably get rid of it. Yeah, like, but... I would be perfectly fine. If we got rid of Daylight Savings Time, I would be like, oh, okay. Uh, so, like, yeah. it's, you know, I'm, I'm not a very confidently, like, you know, sticking on this hill. But for me, like, it kind of makes sense, and I'm okay with it. Um, and also, maybe it's just because of how I approach it, but I change the clocks, like in the early evening of the day before. So like, Oh, okay. I, see I don't do. change yeah. the clock in the middle. That's no, especially when we at lose. An hour. Yeah. I changed the clock at like yeah. 2 PM. Now all of a sudden it's 3 PM. Uh Oh, I guess it's taking longer to do that work than I thought, you know? So for me, I don't, I'm already like adjusting earlier. So that uh, it makes it easier for me, but also it's just because of how I like my work hours. I go yeah. into teach at like, two something and i leave at nine something so <laughs> regardless of when it becomes dark it do- it really doesn't affect doesn't affect me so uh yeah that that's probably the biggest reason that it's not an issue for me but um but i respect those for whom it is a serious significant thing and i you know i'm not gonna fight getting rid of it or anything but just like Feel like for, unless you're one of those people, like you said, who who gets uh, seasonal affective disorder or, or ha- has it really seriously affect them. Like, if for example, your dogs don't know it's daylight savings time, they're like, yeah. let us out at four in the morning. Um, fair enough, I hear you. But I feel like there's a general grumbling about this that really it's not that 
that big a deal for a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I understand, like, I mean, my partner feels very much along these lines is like, once the time change shifts, um, things start slowing down a little bit, it's harder to get out of bed. Um, and she just gets really frustrated that it's dark when she gets home. Mm -hmm. Um, so I understand where it's coming from, but I'm also really annoying in that, it's so nice. I can just I can just immediately fall to sleep <laughs> because <laughs> it's been thing. dark for five hours <laughs> and my body's already shut down. It's so nice. <laughs> so have you considered moving to one of those places where it's just dark most of the year or would it would the part of the year where it's just constantly light be enough of a problem that it wouldn't be worth it? It wouldn't be worth it. Like that much sunlight would just, I I mean, I've thought about weighing those pros and cons and Mm -hmm. and just that much sun all the time. I would not be able to function. I just would not. I would be so upset all of the time. So never mind that. Yeah. I would have to have like two different homes and (laughs) two different hemispheres types of deals (laughs) to be able to properly function. I don't make that much money. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, This week in TV Twitter, I feel like the general discourse was uh, there was a few things that were were happening, but um, I was greatly enjoying the discussions around The Little Mermaid live. I I did not watch it live because, you mean, obviously, Um, first of all, I was teaching. Second of all, like it doesn't didn't look good. And third of all, it was just playing the movie until we got to these awkward half like partially animated and then partially puppeteered live songs everybody was making a big deal about uh queen latifah's ursula being like the highlight and she was fine i mean she's great don't get me wrong but like it was okay the puppet was really cool for her the costume change and all of that and she has so much swag which is essential for ursula but like i wasn't blown away and i mean i like i can't the 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 woman who played uh, voiced Moana, who played Ariel, Ali Cravalo, Cravalo, or I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, she was, Cravalo, I think. I'm, I really like her, but I've, you know, she was, it wasn't her best performance. Um, you know, so, she, you know, she was really great with the personality and the acting, but, uh, I was underwhelmed musically and, and vocally by her. I, you know, it was really interesting though, to actually see young people, playing young characters, which so rarely happens in these fairy tales, where they're all supposed Mm -hmm. to be, like, 15 or 16 years old. And obviously, the actress is a few years older than that. But usually, we're getting, like, significantly older people, like, mid-20s playing 14 or something. And seeing such a young Ariel and a young Prince Eric really changed how it felt. And I thought that was really interesting and exciting. And way to go, Zach Florek, all grown up and and being swoon worthy and uh, getting his prince on. I thought that was a, you know, like, again, I was underwhelmed vocally, but I thought it was good casting and and they worked well. Um, John Stamos as the the French chef really didn't. Everybody was really loving that, too. And I, I, I wasn't getting it. So I don't know. I felt like the whole thing was just this strange, confused half measures kind of thing Mm -hmm. and just like just do a concert version or do like a staged version or just show the movie right like this like in between thing really didn't work for for me you didn't even seek this one out was were you just like nope (laughs) no i just i just was not at all interested Mm -hmm. in it so i just went no i'm okay 
I'm yeah. gonna catch up on Monday. <laughs> yeah, shows. If anything, this just made me a little less. I was already not interested in it, but it made me even less interested in the new live action Little Mermaid that they're mm-hmm. gonna do, which I think is right. not good for them. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was it. Was just watching people react to the different things was was interesting and, and certainly entertaining. Um, also on on TV news this week, Dragger TK was renewed for a second season, which I think is surprising to very few. But yay, more fun Dragger TK. Uh, and most entertainingly, the Twitter sphere rejoiced on behalf of Constance Wu because Fresh Off the Boat was canceled, <laughs> and so the fact that that's what trended was like Constance is free <laughs> was just delightfully shady and fun and yeah so it's been six seasons it'll finish i think like a 14 episode season this year and then be yeah, done something like that so yeah. we'll, we'll miss it but also i feel like it's time it is time i think that with eddie like ramping up for college or whatever like they were gonna have issues or maybe well he decided he wasn't going to go to college um in a hedge of maybe maybe Constance will renew her contract. <laughs> no. Um so yes, no, Constance is free. What Randall Park is free to go appear on random Disney Plus Marvel related shows now. Um so no, I'm I'm glad because he's on the WandaVision show, right? Uh very possibly. I didn't I'm not following that as closely as many others. Yeah. That was another big news yeah. thing is that the Marvel people are saying that in order to really catch all the threads in the upcoming marvel movies you're gonna have to watch wandavision which seems yeah like a foolish choice um but we'll see well no because it's so weird like the discourse happening around that is i'm vaguely curious about wandavision because of that but also now Haley stanfield is kind of like yeah i don't know about the hawkeye thing anymore um <laughs> Because she was rumored to be um, playing that, and then she gave an interview, and it was unclear if she meant whether she was playing Kate Bishop or whether the entire show was happening at all now. Yeah. Um, in light of, especially about the uh, Renner allegations that have come forward. Um, and uh, so, we'll another see. Wrench, another wrench in their, their plans, but, you know, I'm still going to watch Winter Soldier and Falcon because... I love Zemo just way more than most people do. <laughs> yes, that 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 is also that is true. That is definitely that true. That is true. Yeah. yeah that's the truth fact. Um this week uh heading into our week to be we're going to have our our spotlight be the queer eye we're in Japan mini season which I'm very excited to talk about. That'll be coming at mm-hmm. the end of the show. But while you might have thought I was going to use the little mermaid live, eh, instead I will be uh playing a bit of music that was uh, featured this week on The Unicorn in a tiny little moment that only people like myself would catch. Um, This is Haydn's Surprise Symphony, and I will explain the joke when we come back with our week in TV. We'll be right back after this.
That was Haydn's Surprise Symphony, which was featured this week on The Unicorn. Um, so, so for those who don't know, Haydn, who was beloved by his musicians, he was called Papa Haydn. Everybody, he apparently had a difficult relationship with his wife, but <laughs> the musicians all loved him. Um, he was beloved by his musicians because he really respected and stood up for them. And so he did that in different ways in his music. And one of those was by composing the Surprise Symphony, because they got annoyed that all the dukes and lords and everything would fall asleep while they were playing because they would the concerts would be after dinner so they would feast yeah and then food coma while the people were playing so he composed the surprise symphony and for those who don't know the surprise symphony is very you could probably hear from that clip is very intentionally very boring uh until and it's to lull the people to fall asleep and then there's a big jolt of a loud forte chord which then wakes them up and then it sounds that is very like very simple, straightforward to make the false air and then just like wake them up. So that's the surprise symphony. In the unicorn this week, for those who didn't watch it, there's a moment <laughs> when um, uh, Michaela Watkins and Nate Cordry's daughter is playing like the flute or record. I don't even remember the oh, instrument. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, it's being very boring. Uh, and and the the parents are are talking, and so she loses her place and has to start all the way over again. So th- she's playing the surprise symphony. But she's okay. playing the surprise symphony without the big, long, loud, jolting chord that wakes you up. Just the boring part. So I was just listening to the way, oh my god, this is amazing. This is just <laughs> such a... Oh, I love it. This is it's great. It's such a specific joke. Exactly! It's such a specific joke that I'm gonna get, and no one else. And, like, thank you, music supervisor person on the unicorn for the, 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 for the depth of that joke. It's a very well known classical piece. So, like, mm-hmm. it's very well known. But that's the kind of thing that most of the time wouldn't have been, like, layered in with, it would just be like, I don't know, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, some other piece that you can very easily make sound uninteresting and or or bland or boring but to specifically yeah. do the surprise symphony but without the joke is just oh it's great so that's why we well, had it that's a lengthy well, explanation she can't do twinkle twinkle little star because she is listening at a 10th grade level a 10 year old but she's 12 year old you're right yes. listening at a 10th grade at level. a 10th grade level yes so i mean she can't do twinkle twinkle little star because she's listening at a 10th grade level obviously obviously also Data gives me feelings. <laughs> she is not alone. There. She is, that is a popular opinion out there in the DVC. That is a very popular opinion, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, now that I've belaboredly explained a joke that no one needed me to explain, uh, let's get into our week in comedy. We're going to kick things off with Seth Meyers' Lobby Baby, which is his new Netflix comedy special. Then I'll talk very briefly about Dickinson Season 1. I've just watched the premiere. And Noel's going to have some thoughts on Chiarafuru, The Distant Mountain, and uh, On the Mount of Heaven's Perfume. We'll both chat about Superstore, Shoplifter Rehab, and The Good Place, Help Us Other People, and then go over to a little bit of reality talk with Zumbo's Just Dessert Season 1 and The Great British Bake Off or Great British Baking Show. We'll talk about the Season 10 finale, and then I'll have a few thoughts on the holiday specials that just got released by Netflix. So first up is Seth Meyers' uh, Lobby Baby, which I thought was really funny and really enjoyed. Uh, and But I also wanted to specifically chat about something that they did during the segment, or during the, the, the special, which is... Since it's on Netflix, they they had a little politics button pop up so that if you want, you can just click that and skip over the Trump section 
of the special. In case you like it's it's triggering for you, you're tired of it, you're trying to avoid it, or if you enjoy Seth Meyers, except for his political views, which I don't know how you would, but if you did, yeah. you know, then you can just skip the poll. And I don't I haven't seen that in another comedy special before. I thought it was really interesting. I'm curious your thoughts. So whether you want to start with that or just the, the special in general, uh what did you think of of this uh special? Yeah, I'll start with the politics button, um, since I do kind of want to dig into a little bit of the structure about this the overall special. Uh, no, I thought the politics button was the main reason I sought this out, because Myers doesn't do a lot of stand-up, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I think, like his first like legitimate special anywhere. Um, and so I was going to be like, oh, I'll get to it eventually type of thing, because I do enjoy Myers. But the politics button and the implementation of that, I was really interested in so watched all of it got to the politics section got to him explaining about it and then i appreciated the disconnect of him pointing to where the button is on most interfaces (laughs) and then it appearing on the other side of the screen where he was pointing because the interface swapped it on the device i was watching it on oh yeah because it showed Um, up right where he pointed for me yeah, yeah, no, it shows up on the left-hand side of the screen on the Roku device I was using, as opposed to the right-hand side of the screen, where it should appear on any other number of devices. So I just went, <laughs> that's a problem. Um, but no, I thought it was a really interesting concept, and he acknowledged, like, in an interview I think he did with Vulture about it, that it was just like, this was something that you could always only do really on here, on Netflix as a platform and knowing that the special was going to go to them, we just decided to incorporate it. Plus, as he also acknowledged, provides a way to get people to rewind and go back and watch it with the little thing at the end that happens, um, which is enjoyable as well. Um, (coughs) But yeah, I just thought it was an interesting sort of way of acknowledging the fact that the politics section doesn't really totally feel of a piece with the rest of this um, special. So at the same time, while it's sort of a um, a a way of, like you said, um, triggering, just tired of it, whatever, and skipping over it, but it also just makes kind of like an editorial sort of thing as well for structure structurally, um, even though it provides a good pivot point to the last last like ten minutes or so of the um, of the special. So. I, the jokes were fine for that section. There weren't anything particularly great. Um, if you watch, watch it regularly, if you watch Late Night regularly, you're just like, been here, got this. Um, but I just like the concept of it. I'm curious if someone else is going to figure out ways to some other comedian is like, maybe we should do like a full on Bandersnatch special. I don't know mm-hmm. that I have the time to do that, though, in a special in front of an audience, however. Mm-hmm. But I'd be curious to see how they could maybe play that somehow if they did like two different sh- taped specials at the same venue, but then just choose your own adventure stand up special. Yeah. Well, and, and I feel like that would be a really challenging yeah, writing no, feat. Like yeah. in Bandersnatch, that's. I mean, it's interesting, but I don't feel like that's as much of a challenge. If you're trying to to maintain the flow of a comedy special with that sort of flexibility to the the order, the structure, I feel like that would be really, really hard. So I don't know if it would work, but I could certainly see some comedians wanting to play with that. Um, in general, I'm not pro skipping around no, for, for the you know for these kinds of things, but I certainly like 
especially if you if you want to like you the the notion of this as for like trigger warnings i think is really interesting and yeah. um for or for you know you could really easily overuse it i could see it like being a pandora's box that actually like becomes yes. way overused but i think it's a it's an intriguing concept and i always appreciate creatives taking into consideration the context and the venue of their work like where it's going to be seen so yeah, we'll see. I greatly enjoyed the the pregnancy stories <laughs> bits of the 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 Uber <laughs> and the mansplaining. Uh, I, I enjoyed the structure at the end where Myers like repeated some of the same content, but as his wife telling the jokes about him, I thought that that worked pretty well. Um, but yeah, this is I'm looking forward to sharing this with a, with a few people that I I have a feeling will will really get a kick out of it. But the thing that yeah, like you know, it's that that politics button. I think it's an interesting development and we'll see yeah. where it goes. Yeah. I enjoyed like I, the first like long stretch of it. I was just like, Seth Meyers loves his wife. Not as much as John Mulaney loves his wife, mm -hmm. but he loves his wife a lot. So like the initial, the long stretch of like, we're going to make jokes about my wife um, was really weird for me. Like on a brand level, like that's not how he, even when he talks about his wife um, on the show, that's not how this functions with him. And I just went, did Amber or Jenny not review any of this? Where was the quality control? Yeah. Um, and then having it transition into now I'm going to pretend to be my wife and tell all these jokes about me. I just went, there we go. Thank you. Cause that's how his stuff typically works is that there's a joke about his wife, but then there's a much worse self-deprecating joke at his expense about it. Mm -hmm. um, that, balances out that that general strand of women type of thing um so i was really glad when that circled back at the end because i was just like this is very off-brand for him and then it came back and i just went okay good i feel better now because i was suddenly <laughs> very worried oh no that's that's not what we want certainly not yeah. uh in our comedy specials next up is dickinson which dropped the first season this week on apple tv plus you'll note we're not talking about the other apple tv plus shows um because I well, I'm not interested in them. I don't know about you know, but I, I have no interest in the other ones. Um, but this one I watched the premiere, and we'll see if I get around to the other ones. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. The cast, like we've said before, is terrific. It really made me curious about Dickinson the person because I obviously I know some of her work and I'm very familiar with certain elements about her. But I was watching this premiere and then was like immediately on Wikipedia going like. Okay, how accurate? I mean, obviously, like, obviously, it's not accurate to the time period. But to me, it really feels like a modernization of like just a, a mo using modern language to explain mm -hmm. to, to portray what very easily could have been her mindset and like the interactions. It's like a Knight's Tale using pop music for their yeah. music, which is completely appropriate and I think an excellent choice because classical music was the pop music of its time. It was the rock and roll of its time. So it makes complete sense that you, if you want to convey the feeling of it and the, give the context of the, the, that the music would have in the scene for the time period, you would use music that has the same place, the same function in society now that that did then. So having, um, having her go, Oh, this is bullshit. Like, 
makes so so much sense when she's got to get up at four in the morning to go get water for the family instead of having her go i am most vexed or whatever you know like especially for a teen show it feels really appropriate so i you know i to me it feels less like a gimmick and more like uh just like or like like hamilton using hip-hop um in in a that time period like a period story uh, so mm-hmm. so i i mean it's just another medium another mode of like artistic expression uh i i enjoyed this premiere i think you know wiz khalifa's death is delightful the the carriage scene works really well um over on extra hot great which is a, a delightful and terrific tv podcast they talked about uh one of the the hosts talked about being really annoyed that the font that they put on the screen for her poems, like her handwriting for the poems, uh, is different than the font they use when she's writing a letter and passing notes, and that really bothered them. And I was, and I would not have noticed it if I hadn't listened to that segment. But they are a hundred percent right. <laughs> like the the script is like perfectly detailed and beautiful for the notes, so that the audience can read it. But then the stuff that flashes on the screen is is like stylistic and scrawl scrawly. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that did that did that did bother me. Though the scrawl is closer to her handwriting than the actual note, so I can see why they did it. But there's some yeah. like interesting little details like that. But on the on the whole, I'm enjoying this, and I hope I will eventually get to the rest of it. Yeah, but I mean, I was like the I am wheelhouse for this. I am like their core audience is pe- people like me so I'm, I'm not surprised that this one very much fit my sensibilities you know uh what and this is front of the show Alison Schumacher also mentioned this to me as well you know what the the musical cue is when she gets in the carriage with death no what is have you it? heard this it's Billie Eilish when we all oh. fall asleep where do we go it's just like the per- perfect music choice for for that both Billie Eilish and Lizzo's music has been really like overused recently it's like all the music directors and music coordinators for tv found out about both of them like six months ago and they've been showing up everywhere and getting overused but like it was just such a perfect like billy eilish for emily dickinson is a really good really good choice um so i'm really excited to see what else they have coming for the rest of the season yeah i mean of the shows that they dropped at the beginning this was the one i was most interested in but i basically refuse to give them money, especially when I'm going to end up giving Disney money next week. So (laughs) understandable. I totally get, yeah, I like, I could totally see waiting for this to just come out separately. If it does. Yeah. Like on, on Amazon or somewhere else where you can just buy the season. That's probably what I would do rather than getting a subscription, but that might be why they don't do that. (laughs) So we'll see. Why don't you tell me about Chiara Furu? Because I know you're very excited about this week's episodes. Uh, so they're doing what seems like two week right now. Um, so these were episodes four and five. And the episodes cover the initial span of kind of like a warm-up tournament um, prior to the king and queen qualifier matches. And to remind you and listeners, the king and queen are the big championship matches for this niche card game um that happens in japan and chihaya sees the queen as her like ultimate rival and they've actually played against one another um already but also the queen has lost to arata who's chihaya's friend from childhood who also got her into the game in the first place so there's all this kind of stuff but this deals with like a sort of like a regional 
warm-up match, basically, tournament. And it's really, really good. Um, really begins to pay off the fact that even with a character like a guy from Arta's um, Karata Society um, that comes to play that we've seen maybe, like, a handful of times, um, we know from reputation that he's really, really good and that he's even capable of beating Arata. Um that he ends up playing Tai Chi and then like there's tension there with that kind of a thing. But overall, there's just such a deep bench of characters that the fact that almost everyone involved in these uh, quarterfinal matches that we see played relatively quickly um, are all people we know, except for they introduce a semi new rival and slash potential future of Chihaya because that tends to be what happens is that we get like mirrors or foils or other potential paths for Chihaya in her rivals of a woman who was queen four years running until she uh, dropped out to go have a family and now is trying to get a comeback after having two kids. Um, and then there's just this kind of weird navigation of what skills can Chihaya learn from this woman by playing her? Which is, again, really standard in a sports anime setting, but also very standard here as well, because Tai Chi's starting to do that as well, is he's starting to mimic skills that he's picked up from players and is realizing what his style of play actually is versus the fact that he thinks that he needs to keep up with Chihaya by playing Chihaya's game. And he's realizing, oh, no, I need to play a totally different style, basically, if I want to win. And it seems to be working. And so all of these episodes, both of these episodes cover all of that. And they end with Tai Chi and Chihaya playing in the final. And I swear to God, Kate, if they skip over it like they did in the premiere, (laughs) I'm just going to burn the whole show down to the ground (laughs) and then just throw the ashes into another fire. Um, I don't think they're going to do that. But okay. I'm really excited about just getting to see that. I'm really excited about the fact that Arta, who ends up getting eliminated in the quarterfinals, has to watch Tai Chi in the semifinals and suddenly realizes, oh, he's good. Oh, I'm upset that he's good. And like, oh, the love triangle emotions <laughs> of... How else can I show my love for Chihaya other than through the card game? Rivals! Um, kind of thing. So, Oh, that's wonderful. It's so good, right? Yeah. Um, and also, Arga just tells Chihaya that she looks pretty in her um, whole Hakama outfit. And it's just like, oh, he's never expressed anything along these lines ever before on the show. And <laughs> while I'm very much a Tai Chi and Chihaya shipper, like, I don't even acknowledge Arta. But it was so cute. It was so cute. (laughs) Anyway, so both of these episodes were really, really good. And they were like the epitome for me in a lot of ways of what Chihaya Furu is, um, which is why I tweeted what I tweeted of, if you don't like this show, you're dead inside. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But it's really, really good. And like I said, when we covered it um, um, for the Make You Watch-a-thon a couple of years ago. Um, please watch it. It's really good. It's on Crunchyroll and uh, subtitled, and you can watch it over on High Dive uh, sub, uh, with Dub. Um, not right now for season three, but you can watch it. Um, just watch it. It's really good. It's really sweet. It's really lovely, and it hits a lot of good buttons, I think. Um, and these two episodes in particular were just 
really, really good. Um, do you remember Dr. Harada, their um, like mentor from the yeah. the the guy who sometimes gets represented as a bear? Mm-hmm. Um, he features prominently in both of these episodes, and he's just so good and pure, and I love him so much. <laughs> Well, good. Yay. Yeah. Uh, and you're yeah. right. They need to show that match and you need to tell me all about it. Well, yeah, I need I'll to about it next catch week. up and watch the show. Don't get me wrong. But like, also, <laughs> you need to not have to wait. <laughs> you still have my Crunchyroll login information. So you could if you wanted to. <laughs> yes, I will attempt. But you know, I'm going to be busy watching She-Ra this week. So we'll see yeah, how it goes. That's super fair. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, so next up is Superstore Shoplifter Rehab. And yes, there's the Shoplifter Rehab, which was a fun thread and had an appropriately dark ending. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's some other stuff going on, but for me, this is all about the development. This episode is all about the development with um, Justina Machado, who definitely found the union card and is definitely sinister. And uh, yeah, having the Amy get seduced to the dark side a little bit, um, I think made sense and is appropriate. But all and. Yes, Jonah is like could have been less of a dick about how he was expressing that, but he's also a hundred percent right. Um, so, yes. you know, the show has handled their their relationship and their the stress between them that comes from their idealistic differences and also the realities that come with you know having been a, a young mother and having worked at this place for so long and just they're coming from very different backgrounds, and so to see. Yeah how that continues to shape and impact their dynamics will be very interesting. And I, I certainly trust these writers. So I'm very excited for what is coming next for them. I am too. And I really liked the, the go to lunch that Mm -hmm. uh, Amy and Justine Machado's character had Um, just because of it was, look, no, I know what's happening and it's going to happen one way or another, but you need to distance yourself from it real fast. Mm Mm-hmm. And because you can go places. And my partner pointed out that she, she she's corporate Amy in a lot of ways of like, yeah. has like probably put in her time, had the same sort of conflicts and has sold out, mm-hmm. um, but represents that kind of stepping stone. And so like kudos to America Fair for really nailing that kind of, and not ambivalence, but like tension in that last scene with Jonah of like, yeah, it would be bad, but also I would be secure mm-hmm. in a way that I haven't been secure before. Like this manager job was a big, this big step for me um, in achieving that, but a corporate job would be even more. And like the way in which that they're navigating both that as a concept of management, but also a concept of like capitalism and the kind of stresses that that puts on people and on relationships, it's just really being really subtly executed, I think. And I really, really appreciate it and how they're exploring those concepts and then having it also, like you said, with that really dark turn with the shoplifter rehab of, pay us $200 and we won't report you to the police mm-hmm. is just a really good sort of B plot to emphasize everything that Jonah's saying while not actually drawing a connection to it directly, which again is just a sure sign that it's these writers can be trusted, but also that the show knows exactly what it's doing on a number of different levels. And also 
Mateo should not be helping her with any of this because technically he does not work for them anymore. Yeah. No, he does enjoy yelling, which is why this she is. She does enjoy yelling and acting. I'll find it. <laughs> um, I did not understand what money he took at the end because you'd think that their $200 would have to be reported and deposited yes. to the over. Like, so it doesn't make sense that he took the money instead. Yeah. Because it doesn't. That that didn't even remotely work. Um, so, yeah, that was a strange oversight. But I did think that, like, the notion of him being like, okay, well, this is all a bunch of bullshit. You can just leave. We're, yeah. we're extorting you. So just yes. give us the money and we'll stop pretending and you can leave. Um, yeah. Was, was I thought, a good end to it. But, uh, but yeah, it didn't. Yeah, that was... A little bit of a sour note, but I'm sure this is based on actual practices. Um, oh, yeah. I, I have no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So this, like you said, it was a good pairing of, like, you know, it, it was very well structured to match what we're, we were seeing with with uh, Amy and Jonah. And again, I forget her name, Justina Machado. <laughs> then over with uh, Glenn, um, that was and and all that other stuff. I thought was 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 pretty fun. A nice C plot, um, and again, just very well structured. So Superstar makes brings does such a great job of bringing all these different threads together, and I really feel like it's the the underrated sitcom going right now the most underrated uh networks that come going right now so well you we're obviously big fans here over at the good place we had help is other people and i was very surprised to have it be like it's the end of the year because <laughs> there's still yeah. like another seven episodes or something six seven episodes um so yeah what did you think of of this episode and of jumping ahead to the end of the experiment i'm sort of glad that we're jumping ahead to the end of the experiment um mm-hmm even if it also demonstrated the sheer gamut of this has been generally kind of poorly executed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Of, but I understand that you guys didn't want to do season one again, because you already did it once (laughs) technically, but technically 800 times. And we saw six of those versions, (laughs) Um, but also you should have done season one again. Yeah. Um, in really driving home these connections um, between these four, these four people and well, these three people and Chidi um, to really make sense of things here instead of relying on, even though it's effective by the end of, because really in no small uh, things, in no small thanks to uh, Ben Klondike who plays Trent um, that any of that works by the end. Um, but it's still one of those things where if we had spent more time, I think with them as a, as a quartet and also having Simone really do what she was doing off screen and getting to see some of that beforehand so that we could rush through all this. Um, I thought it just would have worked a lot better, but it's also just, it's also a really good button on the kind of central concept here that, again, I don't think that they've done a good enough job with fully exploring until like the chip driver mystery episode, which I think was just last week Um, Mm -hmm. of kindness only gets you so far. And at some point, maybe kindness has to take a back seat to something else. And that the tension in which that gets explored here in this episode, I think is really, really effective. And I think that's, Again, what they've been wanting to talk about all season, but then they just never fully figured out a way to address it with 
because of the confines that they put themselves in narratively with the experiment. Um, so while that last scene is gears up to again be really good again because of Klondike's performance, which is it's really cold really ice, good. By the way, Coldike, yeah, Coldike. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's just really really good. Um, it's just it it just feels like it comes just a little too late uh, for me. But how did you feel about like the overall structure of I guess this first half of the season um, and like this rush to this is the bad place from everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how did that... you feel about Muffin and Ducky? <laughs> I I thought the explanations that they give us here of like Simone's been observing and doing experiment made complete sense and really worked. I don't think it was a good enough reason for not showing her this whole time so that we could have this twist. Um, but I think as like a patch over, it worked well. It made sense. I liked her having like a board completely <laughs> string and everything. That was that was very fun. Uh, like you said, Coldike. Uh, performance at the end like like just even the whole concept of like oh my my kingdom for my bad you know was was a good like beat and well delivered well played and uh cold like nailed that uh moment absolutely um the the return to the pit and like hanging into it like i thought all of that was a nice payoff nice bit of uh uh just coming full circle um but yeah it like this this season has really really struggled. It's nowhere near as confident and as uh, well-crafted as the rest of the show has been. And it's it's very disappointing because they're clearly doing a lot of really interesting things thematically. They have things they want to say. It's just in the previous seasons, that has been married with really tight construction and really uh, efficient use of their cast. And that just hasn't... They overexpanded and they didn't have enough to sustain all of these characters um, without, you know, like some of the characters, they can just put them in a pod and they'll show up when the experiment's done. Right. Um, but they can't do that with these, all, all these humans. And so to have them just flit in and out of the final season really didn't work. Putting Chidi into the experiment meant there was one fewer human to deal with. So that was good. But yeah, they went from five or six characters well, five, like, four main characters, and then Michael as the main antagonist, and Janet just there, only slowly becoming a character, to that core six, and also the judge, and also the bad place, and also these new three humans. Like, it's just so many more plates to keep spinning that that, that really has fallen down this season. And while I would, I think for this show, I would care more about them losing track of their thematic elements and their like their the what they want to explore around psychology and humanity and philosophy and all of that i actually i'm more invested in that part of the show because it's more distinct from other shows so I, i'm glad that they maintained that for the most part but it's a shame that they weren't able to get a, a stronger grasp on their like balancing all of these other characters at the same time yeah, yeah, and I think that's sort of the thing is that each of them ends up feeling really stock and flat, um, which isn't the best. Um, again, with a, a show that's been both that has, like you said, spun those plates to balance. All right, we're going to talk about philosophy. We're going to talk about psychology. We're going to also do a lot of good character-based humor type stuff here. And while the show purposely wrote itself into a corner with Trent 
to make a com- commentary about political discourse in no it's, small part. It's Brent. Brent. I keep saying Trent. And yeah, I've but they're both that to- they're both terrible, completely appropriate names for I me. Mean, not if you're Trent out there, we n- no offense, but I, like this kind of character, it's an excellent, terrible person name. I think what it is is I conflate Brent and Trevor and combine them. Ah, yes, yes, see, I understand that's what I'm yeah. doing. That's Those what are two I'm doing. very good, uh, bad place names. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I think that's just they purposely did that to do like a larger discourse about it, um, and it just it resulted in him consuming everything. And while again, I very much feel like that was by design. It hurt the overall narrative, um, the the push of the experiment. I think. Um, and because so little of the experiment was, we only got little bits of it, basically. Um, it just never felt as satisfying as I kind of wanted it to. But, I mean, at least with the first half, we'll always have that scene with Danson on the bed talking about how he doesn't want to be the giant flaming squid anymore. Yeah. Or, um, and just the sheer loveliness. It's just... It's frustrating, and I'm. But I'm also just like, all right. So wait, what's the? What are the next five episodes supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so. like, so far, unless something changes, yeah. they really could have cut all of the Michael stuff from the season, and they should mm-hmm. have. And they should, while it was great stuff, they should have given that to your they're the the humans. They should have given that time mm-hmm. to the humans, and. You still could have gotten some of that by having a decoy instead of like the fake out with the Janets and and all this other stuff. You could have done that and not all the Michael suit stuff, which ended up not really going anywhere. Um, Yes. Who knows? Yes. Who knows? (laughs) But that's time that would have been better spent with these other characters and most specifically with Simone when we because we had that connection to her from the previous season and because Kirby Halbert is just really good um it that's the one that really strikes as as getting underserved this season so we will see how the remainder plays out more on this next week i'm sure but for now let's go over to our week in reality and we're gonna kick things off with zumbo's just desserts which is a show that i sought out because uh, you had mentioned it before Yes. I saw this out on, on Netflix um, after seeing Zumbo, uh, Adriano Zumbo pop up in, in, in uh, Sugar Rush, right? Yes. And yeah. this is an interesting show because it's very clearly a combination of other shows. It's yes. like, it's it's so blatantly grabbing from Bake Off with certain of his elements, including the illustrations of the drawings <laughs> and the technical. Um, but I think the, the Willy Wonka themes to it are fun. And I think that I really enjoyed the cast of Bakers they had for this season. I thought they did really well with their casting. Um, but by the end of the season, certain of the elements start working, and I don't know if they'll do another season at all. Um, I kind of would like them to, because I feel like at the start of the season, Zumbo's not good at TV, <laughs> and the host is not good at TV, and Gigi's only moderately good at TV. <laughs> and so, like, they're, it's just really awkward, and, and very, like, the, the deliveries and the line reads are just really dead and flat. Um, but as the chef's as the judges get a stronger connection to the contestants, it really, I think it improves as, and just as they get more experience, they're less wooden and they're more playful and fun, which I think really, really helps the show. Um, So 
initially I was like, oh, they just need different hosts, and then this will work. And then over, by the end of the season, I was like, okay, maybe they don't, because having the host also be one of the judges, I think, was smart, just so that there's more economy of individuals. Yeah. Um, but they just needed more time to loosen up and get comfortable on camera. Um and I, I th- it's certainly the structure of main competition and then who, the bottom two have to duke it out to recreate a ridiculous um, Zumbo creation a la Nailed It, but also the technical challenge from Bake Off because they have very detailed instructions. So, like, it's it's more Bake Off than Nailed It, but there's definitely a component of Nailed It in there. Like, it's yeah. an interesting you know, dynamic. And I think... Uh, Getting to watch them, especially when you get later in the season and they're better, um, the people who are in the bottom are better just out of necessity. Watching them actually pull off and get close to some of these ridiculously over-the-top creations is really fun and neat. So I feel like there's something here, but it takes so long to get to where the the hosts are comfortable or just not bad. I won't even say they're good, but just not bad. That most people wouldn't watch it that long. <laughs> most people wouldn't give it a shot, um, I think. It's just I really wanted to watch some baking shows, and I'd run out of all the other baking shows. So I, I'm very conflicted on this one, but I've, I've certainly enjoyed – like, it's been background viewing while I did other work this week, and it's it's been really great for that. Yeah, so this aired in 2017, 2016, hang on, 2016 in Australia. Oh yeah, so they're not doing another season. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Um, the ratings in Australia were terrible. They were real bad. Uh, but then Netflix picked it up, and it's done well enough that Netflix commissioned a second season back in August 2018. Oh, wow. Uh, um, so there's one coming at some point, maybe. I haven't heard anything about it since um 2018 um so it's been over a year since they did this but Zumbo's also like a little busier now <laughs> than he probably was now um yes my partner and i watched this while we were doing stuff for the state fair because we submitted a table setting to the state fair a la gene um from bob's burgers <laughs> and you um, got like second place right we got well we got second place out of two people so technically oh. we got last place but, but also allowed... you got second place runner up yeah um and to be fair it was our first time so and you got we good were... notes as i recall we did get we did get very very good notes um we also think that maybe our judges just didn't totally understand our D themed um uh, <laughs> tables setting heathens heathens yes exactly um anyway so we watched this while we were doing a lot of well, well we watched this while my partner was doing a lot of the sewing and crafting and while I was doing some ironing of fabric <laughs> and then sitting and waiting to be told to iron more things. Um, so, no, we ran into, I ran into the same thing that you did of, like, it's really slow to sort of get started in a lot of ways. In no small part because I think, like, the rhythms of the show just feel a little off for the good chunk of the show, which has to do with Zumbo seemingly just be super stoned for most of it. Um, And then Rachel Koo, who I actually like, I think a bit more than you do, but is also just kind of struggling to find any rapport with Zumbo as well. (laughs) Um, Because again, Zumbo's either just very nervous or very stoned (laughs) Mm -hmm. to be in front of the camera. Um, But at the same time, his sheer giddiness when he shows off the ridiculous thing that they have to make for the Zumbo test, he's just so tickled by, you guys will have to do this seven-layer vanilla thing 
but it's the size of a matchbox. And it's like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it's, it, and it's, it's like Paul Hollywood and Prue Leith, like, and, or it, Mary Berry usually was, was a little less cackly yeah. about it. It's like that, but there's more giddiness and less, like, dastardliness to it. Mm-hmm. So, like, right. there's a, there's a touch of, like, <laughs> but mostly it's like, isn't this cool? I get yeah. to, and now you have to try to do it. Have fun. I'm going to yeah. watch. <laughs> <laughs> so no, so listeners to like kind of contextualize, it's eight layers of cake, the size of a matchbox where layered with a vanilla dequoise, vanilla almond crunch, vanilla ganache, vanilla chiffon, vanilla syrup, vanilla brulee, a vanilla macaron, a vanilla water jelly, and then a vanilla chantilly and then a vanilla glaze. And it needs to be the size of a matchbox. And just watching him cut into that and then turn it around so that the bakers can see it, it's just, it's so good. <laughs> They're just like, wait, how? How am I supposed to do that? They literally give them magnifying glasses, guys. Yes. <laughs> so they can see the layers. It's really good. Was that your favorite Zumbo t- test? No, but it was. it's by far and away, I think, the most ridiculous of them mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, <laughs> guys just do eight layers it's it's the one that stuck with me though it's like the thing like there's some other ones that i think are really fun and inventive and like you said wonka-esque mm-hmm. but just that one was just really delicate looking mm-hmm. and then just cutting into it and being like there's eight layers guys have fun it's just like it's <laughs> so good it's so I, mean <laughs> i think if i have to pick one i think i'm going with the rubber ducky the rubber ducky is very good too yeah that one's very very good but they're all great when like like when he reveals the wonka hat and he's like now i'm gonna melt it and then inside there's a gobstopper and then it's but it's a taco (laughs) (laughs) it's it's great it's it's worth watching just for those yes i agree and i do think that by and large especially um by the time that you're halfway through the contestants are generally really really good um, like I really like Kate. I really like mm-hmm. Allie. I really like Rogan. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Amy a lot. Amy's uh, Amy's liked, really good too. Yeah, was it Ashley? Yes. Yeah, Ashley's really yeah. good too. The one that and we, we both, both hate Daniel. Daniel. Daniel is he's the goddamn he, worst. He's the worst. Um, he's heavily chauvinistic. Um, like top to bottom, just like really like it goes beyond that into like just misogyny. Um. But it's also really tell, hard to tell how much of this is just, we needed a villain. And are you willing to just say terrible things about women on TV? <laughs> how much um, of it is just like posturing and he doesn't actually do it, but he's trying to like, he's so insecure. He's just yes. putting this stuff out. That, you know, yeah. it's hard to tell where all that go- lies. But just based on what we see, he's yes. terrible. He's terrible. And he has a girlfriend. And I'm just like, who? Yeah, love yourself, lady. Get out of there. Um, Just because, again, his edit's terrible, but also he stays in the competition for so long. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just Mm -hmm. so long. Um, And it was, I was very relieved when he was finally eliminated. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) spoilers, he doesn't make it to the final. Yeah, but it's just, he's there for such a long time. Yeah. Um, But I do think that, like, generally the contestants all have really good personalities. Um, the one big thing that I have, and I apologize to any of our Australian listeners or folks from Australia, um, every time that they just said that they're going to, like, smash it out, and I was just like, 
No. <laughs> that's not what that means. That means something know, very different over here. That, that's not what that means. Stop saying, stop saying you're going to smash it. Just stop, stop, stop. <laughs> and, but then every time I laugh, because uh-huh. I'm 12, apparently. <laughs> yep. So it was so, Yeah. But I think this is generally good. I think it's really good for background noise. That's how we watched it as well. So, yeah, I think it's very good background noise. And it's really worth tuning in just for the Zumbo challenges. I think the general baking challenges are things that seem difficult, but I think generally people do okay at. But the Zumbo challenges are just ridiculous of, here's a matchbox. I'm going to milk this hat and then there's a taco in it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know it's 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 fun it's certainly like that's why it's 12 episodes for the first season which is a lot for yes. these kind of shows usually they're like 10 um but i didn't regret like the way that they stretched out getting from the top four to the top two took way more episodes than it should have but i didn't care because it was super fun <laughs> yeah um also super fun the great british bake-off uh, or i should say on, on netflix the great british baking show holidays has released season two what this actually is is the great british bake-off christmas and new year specials from last year and they have netflix has now released it as the great british baking show holidays season two so i have a write-up of the new year special over at the av club you can go read my thoughts there but what really struck me about this is because of course they bring back um fan favorite bakers and they just have four and they're like holiday themed episodes and i think this works really really well because they first of all they do a good job casting these have you watched these specials not yet no my my partner and i um my partner didn't know that we had done them i had forgotten we'd done them so we watched evil instead which i still <laughs> think was the correct choice yeah, oh, yeah um, no, definitely the correct choice but even just have you watched previous holiday specials yes, for i have the, watched uh, the previous holiday specials for this and i do enjoy like the format and i like the people that they bring back mm-hmm. when i remember them yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I think they do a good job because they make sure that they cast people who are good. Yes. Uh, like these, if the eight people that are in these two specials, um, like the Candace was one her season. And then of the other seven, I think like five of them were finalists in their season. Um, so they and they tend to be from different seasons, though. The Christmas special from last year was like two season seven people and two season eight people. Yeah. But the the New Year special was a season five, a season six, a season seven, a season eight. Um, yeah. So it was a good mix. Um, so they're people who are who do well, who are good bakers and made it far into their season, which means people, your viewers are going to have a lot stronger connection with them probably. But also um, they make sure that they're casting people who are good on camera and are funny and are chill. So there's, you don't get the same tension and because no one gets eliminated, you know, like it might, it might become clear who was the bottom of the pack that day, but not necessarily. So there's a star baker, but no one is like, and you were the worst. Bye. So it doesn't really, you don't have to worry about like damaging your reputation or like seeming dumb, right? Because you got three challenges. You're going to be able to practice two of them. And there's only one technical and any, nobody's going to get that bad of a rap from messing up a technical because we all know they're hard. So, so there's not much fear of like losing face and everybody who's there really is excited to be there. So the camaraderie and the energy in the tent is really po- is really good. The bakes that they have, because they're not having to come up with a whole season's worth of challenges, <laughs> they can be more creative. And it's easier to come up with two new challenges than to come up with 20, you know, not yeah. counting the technicals. And, uh, you know, also 
a lot of people do more holiday baking. So it, you know, there's that extra connection as well. Um, also for people who felt like season 10 did not have nearly enough nans in the mix. The Christmas special from last year has Jane and Flo. So nice. to, uh, so we have a septuagenarian and a sexagenarian in there in the mix. So it was a, a much better ratio age wise there. So yeah. that could be pretty fun as well. So I really enjoyed these. And I think it's even like, because All-Stars, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is its own thing. Um, and granted, you you know I love me some some All-Stars because they just the level that, that those queens bring to the competition is just insane. It's crazy. But I feel like this might even be a better format for spending time with previous fan favorite people because it's just one and done it's contained nobody's gonna look bad there's not drama you just get to spend a little bit more time with people you enjoy and you don't have to worry that things are going to go badly for them you can just celebrate them and your connection with them and and the show so it, it, it really works very well i think yeah no i'm excited to watch it and we may end up watching it this afternoon after we get done you and i get done recording um my partner and i may watch it after we get done yeah so you'll let, let us know if you have any other thoughts yeah. on it. Um, but for now, I'll unfortunately, text you immediately, you know, I will. <laughs> I and I look forward to those texts. I didn't reply to Noel's text last week because I wanted to save the conversation for the podcast because that means I can't put off talking about the finale for season 10 anymore. And I thought that the, the right person won. And I thought that the right person won for the week. That is for the, that week. Is the correct statement. Yeah. And. <laughs> But I really didn't like this episode, and it was no, nothing on the bad. bakers, and it was nothing on like the challenges. I thought they were very good challenges. Yes. But what I said over in the in my review at the AV Club was that it really felt like the show was reaching for tears and wanted them, and did not care about the well being of its bakers, and and that really cemented for me the fact that this has been a theme all season long, and I'm really concerned that that is just what Bake Off is going to be from now on. And it was such a sour note to end the season on. Not because the person that we were all thought should win didn't win, but because of the way that they portrayed that person. I guess, I don't know why I'm avoiding saying yeah. your name. But, the, like, when they chose to interview, like, they could have let that person calm completely down and find, like, recenter before they filmed their how did you feel about losing segment. And instead, they... Included it when she, when she just was still overcome and like has, has like barely pulled it together. It was still splotchy in the face from crying. Like it was so exploitative. I, I really didn't like this finale. Yeah, and it's just it's like you say. It's all in the producing of the episode. It's very little about the challenges, which I think are uniformly really good. Make a really good chocolate cake. A little boring, but, you know, okay. Boring, but also I feel like a good canvas. But also a, all right, if you can make a good chocolate cake, is sort of like the equivalent of, can you handle chicken and potatoes, basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about it. And I really appreciated how that signature played out to a certain degree as well, in terms of just the approaches people took. Um, the souffle, as you pointed out, doing a tr- twice-baked souffle within the confines of this show is really, really smart while still getting to do souffle challenge, uh, but also accounting for the fact that they have to reset everything after they do it. Um, it was also really good. And then the illusion picnic basket thing was also really fun and really creative. Um, but 
it's all like you, and I want to really emphasize your word here of sour because it's just gross. It's just unpleasant. It's like eating a rotten zombie Skittle in one of the mm-hmm. holiday themed Skittles. It's really unpleasant. It ruins the entire experience of watching. And I'm going to use the names of pop. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, we've given people um, plenty of time to skip yeah. ahead. Watching just Steph completely break down over the course of two challenges and then again in the showstopper um, is just really, really frustrating and really sad and just not what I want to watch. Um, and then watching the producers encourage people to constantly ask Alice about whether or not her parents are coming um, uh, to the the little uh, to the finale because they missed their flight or they couldn't get on the plane or et cetera, et cetera, and just kind of keep poking her about it. And it's like, stop poking her about it. Let her work on her picnic basket. She's already had enough going on. Stop it. Stop asking. Um, was just really, really frustrating. And like you said, it's one of the concerns when this transitioned over to Channel 4 of this is what was going to happen. Um, and while the cooking in the fire nonsense from last season, and I'm never, ever going to give that up. Yeah. <laughs> um, no was bad this is equally bad in a different sort of way like that's just cooking show reality cooking show nonsense this is reality show nonsense that has no place in this and you made a really good point on your review about how mel and sue basically prevented bbc from showing this stuff by going to the contestants who were having breakdowns and just swearing up a storm so that they couldn't put it on tv and now it's like Pat, pat on the back. You've got this chin up, buck, buck up. And it's like, no, protect them. Protect them some, please. I know that you, I can tell that you care about these people, Noble and Sandy. Protect them, please. Don't let them, don't let their tears be used for our entertainment because I am not entertained. Yeah. Well, because the, the, that's something that happened in season one with Mel and Sue uh-huh. is that the, the producers or somebody kept asking one of the bakers early in the season about like, it was like a recipe they'd gotten from their grandfather who had died or died recently or something like that, where they were like poking them, trying to get them emotional. And Mel and Sue almost walked off the show yeah. because of that. They're like, we're not doing this. And so, and so that, and then they took on more of a protectory kind of role. And like, you know, like, like they've said in interviews, they would like just go over and cover them with their coat. They would like swear right in the, get in the line of the camera and swear so they couldn't use it. I know that I heard that on, um, Pendulette used to do that on reality shows where he would sing Hey Jude. Because yeah. there's no way they were going to pay f- to be able to use that footage then, because it would cost yeah. too much. Like, so right. there, which gets joked about on Thirty Rock with the Billy Joel stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <Tracy's>. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so they were protecting the contestants in that moment, but they were also protecting the show yes. and keeping it the kind of show they wanted it to be. And in a uh, like recently, Henry. Uh, who's like interning or working or something for the Times of London or the mm-hmm. Times? Um, he wrote up an article about his experience on the show, and in that article, he talks about you know because it seems like the bakers have really positive relationships with the hosts. Yeah. So he talked about one of the moments when um, Michael was having his beignet yeah. meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about how like and you couldn't you couldn't see it, but Sandy was standing like right off, right outside a camera, like right by him the whole time, sending positive vibes, like bucking him up. You got this, you got this. And that was, um, 
just to demonstrate how much moral support they were and the, how strength of the connection with them. And all I read in that was, oh, so they made sure they didn't mess up the shot. Yeah. So they're willing to, she was willing to stand there for the, through the whole segment, like didn't go talk to anybody else, like, like just the whole technical. She was right there with him for him. Right. Except that she wasn't willing to mess up the shot. And that is such a far cry from what the show was with Mel and Sue. And it's also very, very possible that, I mean, obviously when it was Mel and Sue, they ha- the show hadn't survived a host change yeah. previously. So Sandy might not have the authority to do that in the way that Mel and Sue did. It's very possible when they brought Noel and Sandy on, they're like, also, none of this bullshit of messing up our shots because clearly yeah. we can replace you. Yeah. So, it's you know, that's very possible as well. But it just shows such a shift in the dynamic and in the, the 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 priorities of the show. And it's something that, like, we've talked about previously this season. The custodians of the show, of the tone of the show, have not been the hosts or the judges. Yeah. The custodians of the tone of Bake Off this season have been the com- contestants themselves. Yeah. Who signed up for that show that was on the BBC all those seasons. Yeah. And didn't sign up for this new thing. So when, the when like, Noel would go over and be like, so are you annoyed that they're also making the same thing as you? They wouldn't rise to the bait. Yeah. It wasn't the hosts making sure everything had that same supportive, comforting tone. It was the contestants. And after seeing this, I would be very surprised if that didn't start to shift. Yeah, I'd agree. I would fully, fully agree is that that's going to shift. Or also then it either shifts or the contestants keep pushing back against it mm-hmm. that they cast and just keep going like, no, we're all gonna, we're all gonna wear clothes that mimic the person who just got eliminated yeah um i appreciated everyone wearing ties after henry got eliminated and, and henry with just... his spiderweb and whales pins too exactly and yeah. also god just justice for helena still yeah to this still. day yep um but i just dream about the bakery and confection shop that she and kim joy are going to open together <gasps> yeah exactly my brain and just that would think, be amazing just think about would... how um, how cutely horrifying all of that stuff would be it would be so cute and so spooky and it would be so great. Yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Now, see, that's the solace I take is that that's going to happen in my headcanon of yep. the real <laughs> world. Um, but yeah, so all of it's just production-wise just really, really frustrating. Um, and it detracts from what are, like I said, a series of really solid challenges, I think. Well, um, and an excellent yeah. job by David, who I thought crushed yeah. it and absolutely deserved the win. It's not yeah. only that Steph messed up, it's that he did a really good job. His showstopper was amazing. Yes, his showstopper was just really good. Like it was, And he was definitely the best technical, not even close. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't... I didn't care for like some of the interview stuff um, with him from the chocolate cake um, mm-hmm. of she just made a chocolate cake. And I just went, yeah, she made Steph just made a chocolate cake. But you know what? It wasn't layered in massive amounts of alcohol. It was better than yours. <laughs> yeah, it was significantly yeah. better than yours, which was just a soap sponge of um, Armanac or whatever it was called. Um, just like, for a guy who doesn't drink, why are you using so much alcohol on this cake? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't know how bad this is going to taste. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was just, it was a really frustrating final, but it was also just a generally frustrating season. And that was... It just felt like a really clear capper to just a really up and down season, which was really frustrating. Yeah. 
Yep. I mean, right now I'm probably still covering the show if it comes back. So yeah. that will mean I will watch it. But uh, certainly I, I am very, I'm very ready for a break. And actually writing about the holiday special was a really good palate cleanser for yeah. because it's a one-off you can't have all the same bullshit um and because the contestants are very savvy because they've you know been through the show but also all the pr stuff that comes after that um so yeah it was a good palate cleanser and i'm, I'm ready for a break <laughs> definitely ready for a bake-off break um speaking of breaks now we will take a break and come back uh with our weekend genre In genre, we're going to talk a bit about the uh, CW shows Batwoman, Mine is a Long and Sad Tale, The Flash, Kiss Kiss, Breach Breach, and then Arrow, Present Tense. Then we'll go over to ABC for Emergence, Mile Marker 14, The Big Twist. Before we round things up with Watchmen, she was killed by space junk. Oh, so much, so much to say about that one. So many entendres. <laughs> Single, double, triple. Lots of lots of entendres. Anyways, first up is Batwoman. Mine is a long and sad tale. And this is the flashback episode that's all about what happened to Beth and or Alice. Um, and as you pointed out, which I had not quite connected to, I was a little confused. This made it make more sense. Now we're caught up to the crossover from last year, uh, the, the backdoor pilot. Yeah, the Elseworlds crossover. Yeah. yeah. So, which is weird to think about. It doesn't really make sense still in my brain. No, it but... doesn't. <laughs> But per the producers, we are caught up to where Elseworlds started last mm -hmm. year now, to which I go, that doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> also, how much more of a time skip are you guys going to in implement now that we need to do the other crossover in four episodes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't think about it. Um, so how did this backstory episode work for, for you? Like, I, I really didn't care. Um I'm starting to sour on Batwoman just a little bit. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a frustrating sort of episode in that it provides a degree of an origin story for Beth that I don't necessarily know feels necessary. Mm. Um, just the idea of her having gone mad to a certain degree because of what happened to her, I think is enough. But then layering tragedy upon tragedy, basically, on top of that, and abuse um, on top of it as well, I think shifts the, shifts the narrative in a way that I don't find particularly compelling and borders onto the exploitive sort of thing, but while still feeling very much within the confines of a, whatchamacallit, of a comic book superhero narrative. Um, but it's just, it feels very too well-trodden. Um, and so that was just kind of frustrating, but so was also some of the other stuff of like the twin connection type thing that they were really driving her. She in particular was really driving home. Um, but f 
a lot of it's saved by the fact that I really like um, the performance from uh, the woman who's playing Alice. Yeah, she's really good. She's certainly been a highlight of this, uh, of the cast and of the season so far, along with, uh, you know, Mary is the other big highlight. And, and they're a fun contrast, too, <laughs> of like this, the two sisters. I think that the show's doing a pretty good job of that. And because the performers yeah. are so strong, it, it's working. Yeah, so uh, Rachel um, Scarston, who uh, my partner and I are slowly working our way through, um, whatchamacallit, uh, through Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. Um, She's just grown leaps and bounds as an actor since Birds of Prey, uh, which is fair. She was like a late teenager in Birds of Prey. So, um, but I think that there's just that is really keeping me afloat. I think in a lot of ways is, and I think your mention of um, Nicole Kang who plays uh, Mary. Again, the juxtaposition, but also just the solidity of those performances. Like her whole thing with um, Luke in this episode is just really good mm-hmm. it is this episode right yeah it's this episode yeah okay yeah um it's also just really really good so i didn't necessarily need the flashback and i didn't find it particularly illuminating and it felt more so about introducing mouse to us in an organic way um and all but also makes me really nervous about how mouse is going to be manipulated um into whatever final nefarious plan alice has in mind um but yeah, I just, I just, I, I just wasn't as responsive to it as I wanted to be. But um, Scarston and Rose's chemistry as sisters, I think, still works really well and carries the stuff that is not the flashbacks. Um, so I really enjoy those aspects. But yeah, I'm also ready for Alice to stop making quick getaways. Um, so. Yeah, it, it felt almost more like um, yes, it's introducing Mouse, but it was more about for me the flashbacks more about the dad and and mm-hmm. and how he was affected um yeah. but yeah i really i don't it was as giving answers to questions i wasn't asking and didn't need yes, and exactly like the notion like it tells so little of the story and yet pretends like it's telling the whole story um and so i didn't need this stuff and it's the kind of thing that i think would work as much as i don't like the flashback structure in arrow i feel like that's the kind of thing like where you just show a little thing here and a little thing there over the season that would have been more effective or just like little moments between mouse and and alice over the course of the season of them reflecting on their experiences growing up right that would have done the same thing and not really slowed down so everything to a crawl so yeah it felt i i really felt the actors doing some heavy lifting to try to sell this stuff um yeah it just didn't it, it it didn't work for me as well, and uh, the more like Alice is the kind of character that the more they try to explain her, the less interesting yeah. she is. Yeah, and this is that's generally the thing that happens with Joker esque characters like this, which is how they're positioning Alice. Um, the more you explain, the less interesting they are. Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go over to Flash, and we had Kiss Kiss Breach Breach, um, which was very strange. Uh, so I thought this was another not good episode, um, despite the attempts, <laughs> the valiant attempts by the cast. Um, killing off Gypsy off screen, I get that the actor is very busy, but it was completely unnecessary. Yes. Um, and it felt like almost like petty that they would do that, you know, like not even, ch- I mean, like I just kept waiting for it to be a fake out and she wasn't actually dead because that makes more sense given the significant the, the significance that that character has played in the show and for Cisco that should be like 
I didn't feel like they earned it. Um, I thought that the reveal at the end was stupid and the twit, you know, like all of that um, was not all that interesting with Echo. Though the notion, that notion of Echo, that of, of taking people from to different Earths to replace them in stealing identities was appropriately creepy and, and yes. a good like villain thing to do. Um, and per- potentially it's setting something up for later. Cause you, we all know how the flash loves to have secret villains in their group of good guys, but yeah, um, it's true. But <laughs> like this episode needed to really examine Cisco's decision to give up his, or to, that he didn't want his abilities. And it doesn't do that. They didn't earn it last season. They didn't earn it here. I think having a, if you're going to kill, kill off gypsy, having that conversation with her dad would have been a perfect time for him to really do that and to explain have this conversation with somebody who would never understand why you would give up his breaching abilities and they can actually they can they could have sold that with creative enough writing right they could have really made that moment work and the actors would have sold it and they didn't do that here it also feels like they're really setting up cisco to get to die instead of barry yeah i mean and it's also very possible that you know because I'm reading this stuff because I know that the actor wants off the show, but um, they're like, let's make sure we establish how loved he is by Camilla and these other things so that lots of people can be sad when he's <laughs> dead and gone. Um, but it's just the, they're, they're p- pushing so hard on, I need to, you need to be the leader. You need to take over for me when I'm gone thing for Barry. Um, when I think everybody Really, maybe some kids watching don't realize, but like everybody watching knows they're not actually going to kill off Barry because he's the lead of the CW's highest rated show. It's a TV show, like Arrow's ending, so they can do whatever they want. But Flash is an ending, so we all know he's not actually going to die. And so because they are playing into it so heavily over and over and over again, it just, the more they push that thread, the the more I rebel against it and the more irritated Mm -hmm. I get with it. It's like they're, they're... Treating me like I'm an idiot. Um, so, yeah, I really, I wanted to like this episode. I like that we got a Cisco episode. I like that we get more exploration of his relationship with Camilla. I, you know, I, there's things I really like here. I enjoyed the Nash stuff, even if all of the um, the conversation about Faith was very didactic and on the nose. Um, I even like the idea of Barry getting a vacation. <laughs> Barry yes. Just, just get, having a day off, you know, it was nice. But I, I would rather cut away and seen them, like, having some drinks and then cut back, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I just, they are, they are not handling this build up to the crossover very well on flash. I mean, I agree with you on a number of things here. Um, I agree that this episode is subpar. I think that it does wrong by Cisco on any number of levels. Um, admittedly acknowledging that I don't have, any attachment to him deciding to go forego his powers from last season because I had stopped watching by then mm-hmm. uh, with the metahuman cure. Um, oh, it happens in like an episode, maybe two. Yeah. yeah. And so like all of that, but it does feel like there's a number of things that are left unaddressed here. Um, killing Gypsy off screen is nonsense and her having faked it would have been a very Gypsy thing to do. <laughs> um, so all of that is just really, really frustrating. Um even, as much as I do enjoy watching Carlos Valdez get to play an evil version of himself um, and a creepy evil version of himself was enjoyable as well, but it just never amounted to anything that I felt was particularly strong or interesting or illuminating about where Cisco is um, from a confidence level. Um, as also as much as I enjoyed the 
Grant Gustin, Barry Allen, Clippy self for Barry um, graphic. Mm-hmm. It just never congealed into anything that I felt was had any energy to it or any drive to it. And I kept going back to this concept of we've only got like 40 minutes of oxygen left. And I just went, that's more oxygen. This episode feels like it has Um, because there's just not enough there there. And the point where I do disagree is like the buildup to the thing. I'm not rebelling as much as I would have anticipated me against the buildup of yes, no, Barry's going to live. We all know that they don't. And I'm still collectively buying into that fact that, the way that the actors in particular are playing it, it feels like a legitimate sort of thing. And so them going on a quick vacation together kind of helps solidify that for me in a way of like, all right, we're going to take this opportunity to do this one vacation um, before I die. And just all this kind of stuff. I like that. And I'm appreciating how that's continuing through the sh- through this build up to it um i'm not necessarily fully um like convinced that say cisco's going to die instead but also yes Carlos Valdez wants off the show um he's been making that quietly clear for a little while um so i wouldn't be surprised if cisco is the one that um like takes barry's place somehow um but yeah it's just this is another week episode so i'm like nervous about like the next couple of episodes um, going forward um, so yeah we'll see one thing that I do want to mention is that I think we were talking about Bloodwork as like the season villain uh, last week or the week before and we should note that he's they're going to do two big bads this season um, and the, there's going to be a big twist associated with Bloodwork or inside the Bloodwork case um, in the lead up to or immediately after the crossover uh, that allow that feeds directly into the crossover, and then I don't know if it'll connect to the next villain, but they are doing a totally different villain for the second half of the show. Of this That's season. good, which is good because Bloodwork, yeah. as a as we sort of discussed, is like what is his end game? It's very unclear. He can't do a big Bloodwork bomb since that's what all the villains do on this show: some sort of alternate universe obliterating bomb. A thinking bomb. <laughs> um, he's mostly, he's a serial killer. Yeah. Right? That's what makes killer. the most sense. That's what he's focused on. He's focused on never having to die. And the way he does it is by scaring the shit out of people and then killing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that makes sense. That fits with everything they've, they, they've earned and they've worked to for him. So he doesn't make sense as like a larger Long-term. scale. Yeah. Yes, you can't villain. build a big bomb that scares a number of people and kill them at the same time. <laughs> he's yeah. Your powers don't work like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So looking forward to whatever the fact that they have a twist or something else planned and yeah. something else that they are shooting for to center the second half of the season. So we yeah. will see what that is. Um, next up is Arrow, present tense. And uh, as much as I am still pissed at them about Zoe, I thought this was a really strong episode. I think and on the whole, Arrow is just having such a gang bas- uh, gangbusters last season. Um, and, you know, the, I mean, they are just they're just killing me with all the William and uh, and Ollie stuff and the Mia and Ollie stuff and I loved every time I think it happened at least twice where they're like oh yeah no she's definitely your daughter <laughs> it was it was very well played like I like that they at least pretend that they're gonna call Felicity and then they don't oh that makes sense it doesn't make sense 
Ali, but we all understand that Emily Bett Richards is just coming back for the <laughs> records, is just coming back for the finale. Um, and so you guys can't call her yet. Um, even just like calling and, and hanging up, <laughs> like yeah. and having him call off screen would have been better. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, anyways, this, this stuff I thought was the stuff that we were getting in this episode was really effective. And it almost makes all of the stuff I didn't care about in the previous season with the forward timeline work or worthwhile because I really did like this generational stuff so much. Right. And I think the generational stuff um, for me worked so well because it reminded me about a lot of like arrow season one in a lot of ways in which, especially in its first season arrow did a really good job of for And I'm not using this term disparagingly. I really want to make that very, very clear of threading the superhero with the soap opera. Mm -hmm. Um, And this idea of generations type stuff is built into a number of soap operas. So having that come like get like smashed together here um, in present tense with literally a whole other generation interacting with the other generation is pure comic book nonsense, but it's also pure soap opera nonsense as well. And then navigating all of those threads, I think is just really, really good and really, really delightful. And I say this as someone who provided you can actually load the reviews anymore because you probably can't because the TV.com website is in terrible shape because it's not being maintained is how much I hated the secret baby subplot on arrow (laughs) when they first revealed it as bad soap opera nonsense. But like you said, everything that's come out of the Williams stuff in this episode in particular is really good. It's really like for two actors who have, I don't think have had any screen time together. Um, the quality of that relationship feels really lived in um, immediately and really yeah. delightfully. And just the way that both actors are able to sort of express the fact that they haven't seen one another in either 15, 20 years mm-hmm. and a couple of years, mm-hmm. I think it's just also really, really, really good. And so balancing that, but also how they find a rhythm really, really quickly with one another is just, it's really good. And it's really, it's just really good. And I really, really like this episode a lot. Um, even if some of like the silly Deathstroke stuff and Diggle's um, refusal to sort of accept what was going on um, was not my favorite. Um, but also by the end, it comes, it comes full circle. So I'm happier about that. Um, so I think all of it was really good, but I also just really enjoyed Renee being like, well, at least she didn't throw up this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause that's oh, typically what happens to you. <laughs> um, There's a good level of nuance to the different relationships and maybe that would be the reason they wanted to kill off Zoe so that there would be one of each kind of relationship. But you have, you have the Mike, like the fact that, that um, Oliver immediately recognizes William because like he, he knows him and he can project 15 years onto that face that he knows so well and see that it's him to, so that, that relationship, then the relationship with Mia where he knows that Mia exists, um, and and can can see his see her mother 
in her as well, right? Can see that that's that's her, even though there's more distance there, and she has that very antagonistic relationship with him, understandably. Um, and then with Connor, who has such a strong connection to Diggle, but Diggle doesn't even know him at all. So like the the way that they're handling each of these relationships and the dynamics, um, the you know, complete mystery and absolute love and respect from Connor and Siegel to mutual love and understanding and, and sorrow with William and Ollie. And then a much more complicated dynamic around abandonment and, and all that with, with uh, Mia and Ollie, like it's really interesting. And I think those three track really nicely over the course of the episode and will likely continue to track very nicely over the course of the thing of the whole arc, having um, the way that they're having the, trip to the past in form and shape the future like oh that name jj i wonder why i wonder if that will come in handy 15 years in the future when i'm recruiting people da, da, da. you know like the, it's a little on the nose with some of that stuff but like the idea that this is where the the concept for the canaries comes from and you know you're gonna win your election and all these different things um i think that they're they seem like they're having fun with that and given the level of the writing this season, I'm pretty confident that that's going to go interesting places. Um, I also would like a little bit more discussion because of at least, at least Oliver's relationship with Sarah and having met the legends and all of that, like the notion that time travel is less of a thing for them as it should be for other people, you know, and they've gone to parallel universes and things like that. Like, and they, you know, and obviously Laurel is there from earth too. Like, there should I feel like this show could have more discussion around timelines and around the future that they aren't having because they don't trust yeah. that the viewers watch legends um but I, even just a nod to that would be interesting well, even that but like I was also just like when they were discussing like impacts on time travel I'm just like you guys could just call Barry mm-hmm. because he keeps changing the timeline <laughs> that was his whole deal for like three years is that he kept changing yeah. the timeline <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. He would you have some just call very him. useful yeah, yeah. pointers on this. Yeah, Calling Sarah would have been really good, but none of the shows want to acknowledge that Legends of Tomorrow exists because yeah. it's so much better than the rest of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the ending sort of twist with Laurel and getting Earth 2 back, I think, makes sense. And um, I... I, I Again, because the writing's been so spot on this season, I have more faith that they aren't going to do the same old retread of can't trust Laurel. Um, but I hope so. they also just need to bring her two back so that we can get Jesse Quick back and Wells back. And like, we have strong connections to Earth, too. Not through Laurel, but through the Flash. And they have not even mentioned that. And I feel like that's a significant thing that should have come up um, on the Flash. If 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 it was going to be such a if if it was going to be permanent, I guess. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, but yeah, I'm hoping they do bring Earth Two back, even though keeping it gone works better for this Canary spinoff that they're looking to do. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah, but I I do agree with you, Ree, the point about Harry and Jesse Quick and everything because it was I had that same thought when they eliminated it. I just went, but. Wait, wait, is anyone going to tell Barry? Yeah. But all universe music, like jazz singer Joe, right? Yeah. Or, or totally badass yeah. please Captain Iris, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Is anyone going to tell Cisco his favorite Wells is dead? Yeah. 
His yeah. o- the only Wells that likes him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Um, okay, let's go over to Emergence, mile mark 14. We had our big reveal that Terry O'Quinn is barely not going to actually be in the show that much, which is tears because I do so enjoy him. Um, I like the idea of Emily being more of a presence, though I think she's been good and there's a lot of potential here. Um, what, did you, what did you think of mile mark 14? Uh, so the first thing I want to say about Mile Marker 14 is I was really impressed that they managed to resurrect Tony Stark's Malibu condo. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, I was just like, wow, that is Tony Stark's condo again. All right. All right. We're in it. We're in it. Um, the Mandarin didn't destroy it. <laughs> um, but no, I, I like this episode. Um, I think the, like, the big thing that I'm appreciating about the show overall is that by telling us what Piper is in episode three the the shift the story changes from what is piper to how do we protect piper but also how do we protect ourselves and i think that that's a really that's a more interesting sort of concept that this episode in particular starts to play with of uh donald Faison's character gets understandably very concerned about the safety of his daughter um with piper in the house and then how do we protect Piper when Piper the the villain's been here all along? The cults are coming from inside the house, um, and that Emily's been using all of them to clear the board, basically, which I really, really like. Um, and so I'm really curious to see how the rest of this plays out um, with this. But it's such a good sort of twist of like you're not, but you're also not who you say you are. And I just my partner, and I both just looked at each other and went. Wait, is it? Wait, what? And then it's it's Emily, and we were just like, "Oh, that's so good!" Because we were asking ourselves, "Wait, how can they keep dragging this out for like at least another seven episodes?" Because we can't figure out how many episodes they have in this season. Um, I have to assume it's thirteen. They can't do twenty-two episodes for this, um, but who knows? Um, that we were just like both very surprised and very happy because, like you said, Emily's just been such a good character on this show. Even though I have so many questions about like her living in the police station that were then immediately addressed by their front desk person going, I'm not the maid. And it's just, (laughs) oh, that person is very good. But so is also that other cop that came in with the 3D printed puzzle (laughs) of the, of the, whatchamacallit, of like some really obscure snowstorm or something. And it's just like, I love all the small details that this show does so much. Just the fact that the, um, that Kindred is the figurehead and the like the president of this company, but he doesn't know shit for technology. He's not the tech genius. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> you know, that like he's in charge of everything and he's the business person and he like he runs the company and all that stuff. But he doesn't actually like the person who's doing that job isn't doing the day to day coding. And so when the guy goes, Oh yeah, no, Kindred, he's not capable of all of this. Um that really, I think, makes a lot of sense, even though it's, uh, again, it's so disappointing if if that's it. If that's it with Kindred, I will be very disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't be, like, totally surprised if it were, but I think I'd be okay. O'Quinn's energy with mm-hmm. Tolman is so good, and there's always that bit of... Uh, unpredictability to him like in his if he wants that in his performance he can also just be like solid like very much like Clancy Brown is is giving in this show but um but that little you know that's the reason they cast him on Lost the twinkle right of like is it malicious is it not Uh, is it 
kindly, I guess. <laughs> there's there's a lot there. So if this is it for Kindred, it will be a, an effective and interesting, a good twist. But also, they're going to need to do more to build up Emily for for as like a villain. Um, I thought that they really sold though, like the the okay, you need to destroy it. This is the end of humanity. Yes, this technology yeah. will yeah. destroy us all. I thought they really nailed that um, level to it. As much as we're not going to be on board with that because we like Piper <laughs> and we like Alison Tolman, uh, but um, I think the performances for that all of that was was effective and good. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying the season. I'm still you know I'm I'm keeping up with three network shows, new network shows every week. That's very rare. Yeah, no, so, it's super good rare. job, 2019 TV. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're you're keeping up with more than three, aren't you? Because you've got new ones. Yeah. You've, oh, you've four. Got unicorn. Emergence. Yeah, unicorn. Evil, and then Stumptown. So that's four. That's four. Yeah. And I know that you're on the down low watching Bob Hart's Abby Shola, so that's five. Oh, clearly. Yeah. No, I, I'm still watching Charmed from last year, so that's the only yeah. one from last year that I stuck with. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I, and I'm not missing God Friended Me, which is the other one that I, I stuck it out pretty long with. But yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens next year. See if this sustains all the way to the end of the season. But for now, I'm certainly very interested in what's going to come next. Um, also, well, I guess five, right? Because Watchmen, but that's not network. No, that's um, no. Watchmen it's has. Uh, it's it's exactly. <laughs> uh, Watchmen had She Was Killed by Space Junk, which uh, is the Gene Smart origin story uh, episode. Of course, Gene Smart is playing Silk Spectre from the original uh, Watchmen comics, but now like 30 years on. Um, we've both read Watchmen, so we're going to have a different relationship with this episode, likely, than people who are just tuning in for the show. But uh, this was, for me, a really terrific Introduction to, to Smart and to, to Lori. Um, really effective. Instantly interested in her. And it also felt much, like, much more connected to the Watchmen comic than the other stuff we've gotten. Um, but also it was the least interesting of the three episodes. I was, like, immediately wanting to be back with the other characters. As much as I appreciate what they're doing with this one, and I think it's really interesting and a really great character portrayal and, and um, introduction to the world... Mm-hmm. But I just I care so much more about everything in the first two episodes. What did you think? This was the episode that kind of got me on board with the show, Kate. I'm sorry. See, yeah, well, no, but that's the thing. I've I've seen that from other people as well. Absolutely, you're not alone. You're in good company. Um, no, it's in no small part because Gene Smart just is really, really good at selling this sort of disillusionment with everything and which is something gene smart can do in her sleep however it's deeply deeply effective here in part because of the Lori blake connection uh, that i have to the character from the comics but i think that the show also does a really really good job if you don't know anything about the comics of making that really clear about all right she had she was a player in this except for the fact that she wasn't because she was the one god ignored um and just all of that kind of stuff i just really appreciated how they made that really really clear and provided a both a a way of connecting to an audience that has read watchmen and to an audience that has absolutely no connection to the comics and making Lori feel immediately really 
fleshed out, realized, and crystallized in a lot of ways. And also Smart's ability to make her seem both competent, badass, and um, but also just deeply, deeply, deeply lonely and wounded in a way that also doesn't feel exploitive or um, whatchamacallit, or tired either. Uh, this is just a person that has worked really hard to be taken seriously and is still getting gently mocked by superiors at the FBI, but also takes the dweeb who runs the projector because she knows he won't talk back. Um, so I think that there's just a lot of really good stuff there, but also when you're talking about like wanting to immediately go back to Tulsa and get back with those characters, I mean, Gene Smart provides a really good sort of quasi antagonistic presence for the rest of them because her scene with Regina King in the tomb. Yeah. It's just good. It's just yeah. real good. And just like, King's King's reaction of I'm just like oh if the rest of the show is just Regina King versus Gene Smart exactly it's gonna be so good it's gonna be very very good and I'm very excited about all that um so I really appreciated this episode I liked the, uh, the continuation of like world building with the phones that transmit to mars um Mm -hmm. i think it's just delightful but also the fact that they're all just stained with graffiti and also that place that she walks out of when the car drops and everything that's that's in that's the downtown decatur in atlanta and i just went i know that place but i also (laughs) like knew the place where they did the sting in with the bank uh that is an actual bank in a downtown atlanta um and it's a very nice building to be inside of (laughs) but I but it was just one of those things where I was just like all of this is finally sort of like working for me even if other things are kind of vaguely distracting me like all the like little bits that get drawn in from the comics like the hotel they're staring at being called the black freighter um the heavy reliance the on pirate the, flag the pirate yeah. flags type stuff that's kind of like beginning to crop up to further um the Veet um storyline um which I've never seen Jeremy Irons look more ridiculous in my whole life than standing <laughs> in the mirror in the Ozymandias outfit. Um, but I also like that no one has any respect for the idea that anyone would call themselves Ozymandias. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, he looks so ridiculous, but also so proud of himself. Um, so mm-hmm. Irons is just killing in all the stuff that's happening in whatever place is happening in, but is being shot in whales. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that that stuff is continuing to be very unusual, and we'll see what happens with it. But um, all those poor dead clones. <laughs> yeah, he really is very okay killing those clones. Um, the uh, the stuff with uh, with Regina King is terrific, and setting up uh, an equal to her, like yeah. immediately being like. This is someone that is not impressed by Sister Knight uh, and is going to be an even match. And then, of course, I am assuming at some point there will be a turn and they will team up and it will be badass at the end of the season. Um, Looking forward to that. But, uh, yeah, no, everything that we get in this episode with with them, I think, is is terrific. The um, there's just so much text there for those who know the comic and. To, to pick up on, I like that they don't explain. Like, my dad had a cabinet, had a fake wall or whatever. So, and every time I, you know, I look 
I go to do when I look for one. And they don't explain, because my dad was the comedian. And also, I was the product of rape. And also, there's a very complicated relationship with my mother, who was the original. Like, they, if you know all that, it's layered into the performance. That texture is there. And if you don't... It doesn't matter. So I think they're handling all of that baggage really well. For those who are, want more background, um, or just another perspective on the show, along with friend of the show, Angelica J. Bestian, who's writing up the show over at Vulture and doing a terrific job, some really beautiful writing from her already, just a few episodes in, go check out Tom Lorenzo's write-ups, because they're really good as well. And um, they were commenting on old phallic imagery throughout this, down to the phone booth, you know, being, yeah, um, which I didn't connect, or, or and getting killed by space junk. Um, and some other things was like, oh, yeah, no, that's right there. I just didn't see it, but that's that's right there, too. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're doing really interesting write-ups. I think it's, I think it's Tom is writing up the show um, over at Tom Lorenzo. But, um, but no, it's, it, there's so much interesting discussion around the show as well i mean and it's so so lovely to have uh, a show back in our weekly um tv experience that sustains this kind of discussion and is really enhanced by it which is you know not not a thing that you can always expect from uh, the average season of tv so I, i'm really appreciating that part of it the 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 stuff uh, you know like the bank scene what a great way to introduce that character the uh the the back and forth with the projector dude where he kind of is like yeah i'm sorry we're supposed to pretend like you're not famous but you're a really big deal and so i'm going to ask you this question <laughs> i thought like i think they're handling all those notes really well and i'm excited for what's going to what's going to come next that was that was her car right sister night's car yeah yeah i think so so that'll yeah that's interesting I imagine we'll find out what that means. I want to jump to the conclusion that Dr. Manhattan dropped it down there for her, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is what they want you to... But it's not necessarily that. So that, either she's laughing at the cosmic joke of it all, or yeah. it is Dr. Manhattan, in which case that's delightful. Yeah, I don't feel like it's uh, Dr. Manhattan, uh, just because, again, mm-hmm. we saw the big magnet that picked it up. Um, yeah. But who knows? Well, well, but I mean, Dr. Manhattan throwing it back down. Oh, but yeah, but that would imply that he's on he's Earth. listening yeah and he's paying attention that's not yeah. how he operates anymore no it's not yeah no it's not yeah. but in my head it's funnier that way so that's what i want it to be so that's what i'm making yeah. it be even though that's not what it is so until canon proves me otherwise <laughs> head canon shall reign any <laughs> other thoughts on watchmen uh no so uh tell me what won your week in tv this week <sighs> man okay so my week in tv well first of all shout out to draggers uk which is continuing to to crush it as it heads into you know the final few episodes uh this this week was was another fun one um but i think i'm gonna have to give it to arrow yeah this this week it was a really strong episode what about you? Um, well, I want to shout out Mom that's continuing to do really good things. And Patrick Brewster has been recurring, and she's really been just delightfully mean. Um, but there's some other really good stuff happening this season, I think, that I'm really excited about watching them develop, if they're going to develop. Um, Evil was also really good this week. Um, I thought um, as they sort of expand the mythology of the show a little bit, but also if only for that creepy childlike figure crouched in david's chair and david would be like who are you and me being like i don't want to know <laughs> <It's> creepy <laughs> is what yeah. it is um but yeah i'm 
Arrow's a close second, but the Chihafuru episodes were so good. Um, yeah. So Chihafuru wins my week in TV uh, this week. Yeah. Okay, so now we'll take a break and listen to a trailer and then come back with our spotlight section on Queer Eye, We're in Japan. We'll be right back after this. Junbi wa do? I cannot wait to roll up our gorgeous little gay sleeves and get this ball rolling. Let's help Makoto buy his mojo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yoko gave up every room in her home for her patients. Self-esteem building starts now. Yes, queen. Yes, oh. <laughs> trailer for netflix's new mini season of queer eye we're in japan exclamation point hence the inflection so aside from obviously you know we tend to enjoy queer eye here at the televerse um we want to talk about this because you know it's such a different approach for 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 netflix for queer eye but just for these reality shows on netflix in general to then take advantage of the international audience and try to expand into other markets by doing a mini season in another country and have like half of it subtitled i imagine if you watch in japanese uh or in japan and like netflix japan or whatever the the all the english is subtitled and you know but um so to to, to go and take the queer eye guys and just tackle a completely different part of the world and discuss bring their brand of you know self-empowerment and acceptance and love to such a different culture i think is is an interesting thing for them to do and i'm curious you know where we fell on that so so first of all were you surprised by their decision to do this no i wasn't surprised what did surprise me is that there was not a terrace house crossover in any way shape or form Mm -hmm. that really surprised me and i was very offended (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I, yeah. I also, yeah, I, I was more surprised than you, but like, as soon as I started watching, I was like, okay, they're doing a good job with this, I think, in my opinion. And this is really smart. And I would expect to see future seasons. And I would also be really interested to see which markets they wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. And if they could, if me, because again, spoiler alert, this really works for me. If they could do this same kind of mini season thing, but in different countries, you know, sort of like the criminal had Spain, Germany, UK, and uh, I don't remember the other place. Um, 
if they did Queer Eye Germany, how would that compare to Queer Eye UK, to Queer Eye Japan, to Queer Eye America? You know, like that would be really interesting. And there's a few things I think they get absolutely right here. I think the biggest thing is bringing on, first of all, translator introducing the translator. Um, But also having a cultural like expert as someone who who is Japanese, who is, you know, apparently hugely famous, half Japanese, but uh, who lives in Japan is a a a huge celebrity in Japan Yes, and is there to like kind of walk them through some of the cultural differences. I wouldn't have assumed that they would do that. And I'm so glad that they did because I think it was essential to the success of this mini season. Yeah. I think that having, um, Oh dear. Um, hang on. I want her name. It's like Kiko or something? Yeah, it's Kiko, um, who, like you said, is a big deal. She's an actor. um, She was in one of the live action, um, whatchamacallit, uh, live action adaptations of Attack on Titan, playing like one of the major characters on that. Um, So her being present there was really helpful. Um, And she is indeed uh, something of a big deal. Um, However... Um, I was also kind of generally frustrated by some of their lack of cultural awareness of Bobby turning to her at some point and being like, oh, I love that you're a comic book girl. And me being like, everyone in Japan reads comics, like literally everyone. It is <laughs> not a niche, a niche subculture thing there. Literally everyone reads comics in Japan. This is not a, this is not a. Oh, yeah, no, I love that you're a woman and read comics. It's just like, no, everyone reads comics. There are comics on every topic under the sun. It's just part of the culture. Um, To, like, other sorts of things that I think were just, like, I was waiting for, like, did you all not do much homework or Mm -hmm. purposely didn't do any homework so that we could then show you being educated on the show to certain degrees. And so I think that there's generally, it's really good in the first episode of do we hug? Do we, um, do we take off our shoes? All depends. Again, everyone has different things, but yes, you take off your shoes. Um, but also like, I think there was another thing where I forget who it was. They were discussing Christmas and, the Japanese, Kate, I don't know if you know this, they fucking love Christmas. <laughs> like, as a, as a culture, they love Christmas. So much so that, like, a friend of mine who lives in Japan tweeted a Instagram video of a Coca-Cola bottle that when you pull the label, it turns into a bow. Mm. That you can, so you can gift the bottle of Coca-Cola to someone for Christmas. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> they love Christmas um, in Japan. So when they were like t- discussing that, I just went, no, the, the Japanese love Christmas. They don't care about the Christianity part of it. They just love Christmas. Um, it's a big deal. Like sales, everything. They love Christmas. So I think there's plenty of that stuff as well. That I'm just like, probably just weren't there in cultural primers that they were given. Um, but I was also just like, but yeah, no, they love Christmas and everyone reads comics pretty much um, unless they're just real snobby. Um, so that kind of stuff. But I think that generally, I think that there's really good sort of cultural exploration and understanding that comes through in this really clearly. Um, I really appreciated that we get that episode with um, Khan, uh the young gay man who uh lives in um in in tokyo um because it's 
that in particular I thought was probably one of their stronger episodes. Um, that and the one with Makoto, because that episode swerves real hard on them that they were not expecting from the dossier. <laughs> um, because that episode I also thought was really good. But I think that the Khan episode provides that degree of sensitivity, but also that degree of there's still a high degree of work to be done within Japan in terms of LGBTQIA acceptance. Um, it's one thing to say, have like the prime minister's wife march in pride parades because she's actually been a fairly outspoken advocate for this kind of stuff, but also culturally that's still in flux. Um, and so having that exploration be present in the episode, I think, and in this little miniseries, I thought it was really, really important. And also watching them having also have a, again, air quotes hero, because I just really don't like that terminology. I don't like that um, term. Yeah. Having him have been in both Vancouver and in London and been like, oh, that's what this like. But now I have to kind of go back in the closet. Um was really good as well. So Crazy in Love was like, which is the con episode was my favorite of the four. But I think generally there's a really good sort of cultural respect and exploration through this episode that I really, really appreciated while still fitting the mold of that kind of affirmative affirmation based, whatchamacallit, and lack of judgment also, which has been a really large part of this vein of the show um, coming through here. I really appreciated, um, you know, because granted, you know more about Japanese culture than I do, just from the fact that you watch so much more Japanese TV and and anime than I do. Um, but the, um, you know, so some of this is just stuff that I just don't know about. But I, I thought that there was a really interesting discussion, particularly around fashion, that I wasn't expecting, yes. that I thought was really interesting and neat. Yeah, Japanese fashion is crazy. Yeah, layered. well, and, and having yeah. their, like extra like cultural ambassador person be a model i think and, and and helped in that conversation and then just however briefly touching on the fact that um she has gotten like uh, blasted so, you know at times for her fashion choices for being too avant-garde and then as, as an american I, I look at what she's wearing i'm like how could that possibly be controvert she's wearing pigtails why is that a i mean it wouldn't necessarily be my choice but why is that? A, that's a deal. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. And so having that kind of, you know, it was it was interesting seeing the impact of the ugh, heroes on the the queer eye guys, and also them on 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 their episode focus people. So I don't have to say heroes again. Um, like and, and ugh, like just the just how much. By the end of each episode, the, I mean, maybe this is just me because I'm a hugger, but just at the end of each episode when they were like, hugging is nice. We should do this more. <laughs> this is, I should probably actually have told my daughter that I love her at some point. And my daughter can't remember me ever saying that to her ever in her 20 years of life. Okay, maybe we should say something about that. And I don't know how much of that is just me wanting American ideals and culture, imposing that, right? Um, but it was it was interesting to see some of these threads come through, you know, impact the queer eye guys and some of them, you know, kind of reach back into the, to the, 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 the people we were interacting with. And some of that I'm sure is because they have, they're on a high of having 
been hanging out with these people for all week and for for a week and having cameras in their face and all that stuff. And I'm sure most of them are back to their normal routines at this point. Um, but it was it was it was certainly very it was very interesting to to see that. I liked the um, some of the the other very specific things that were like but the fact that Anthony has a background uh, to some extent in Japanese cuisine, um, it came into play in an interesting way, but, but even like the most fun for me as always was Bobby, right? Like working in these very small spaces. It's just such a different aesthetic. It's such a different approach and bringing his, everything has to be dark or blue or, you know, <laughs> it's not what? for me, but like the use of space was really interesting. I feel so bad that Makoto and his wife now basically just live in two different hotel bathrooms <laughs> <laughs> with all that faux marble decals everywhere. Yeah, well, and at least the the you know having removable wallpaper, I yes. thought was an interesting. Well, and, and just talking about it, it's a different experience when you rent, and that's something yes. that they have not run into in the same way on Queer Eye. Yeah, I mean they have, but also like. And a lot of those instances, those were rental houses that then whomever actually owns those houses is going to benefit immensely. Yeah. Whoever uh, owns the house is like, yes, please and thank you. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. For for me, I was in enjoying seeing the Queer Eye guys a little bit out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were there any episodes in particular that stood out to you um, as we have a few minutes left here? Um. I you know I I think I liked all of them. I don't know. I I I was you know the, the queer guy that I have a skeptical eyebrow towards especially after the most recent season is Karamo. And um so there weren't any episodes that made me uncomfortable the way that there were in the previous season. Uh I I thought that the for the premiere any anytime you're going to help out someone who is a hospice nurse i'm on board 100 yes. yeah. um i'm not convinced she's not gonna give up her room again no <laughs> yeah. she definitely is <laughs> well and they didn't talk about it but i'm i'm pretty i mean yes i'm sure you don't become a hospice nurse to make money like you just don't because you don't make enough money to to for for how challenging and difficult that is but also i'm sure that's probably part of why she gave up her room because then that's another patient she can treat and like she isn't doing that for fun. This is also her business, right? So I think there was a lack of under. Or, uh, they were just trying to make sure make sure you didn't think about that part of it. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the time we spent with her was was really fun and interesting. Um, as much as they really kind of glaze over some of the family issues um, and the, her clear regrets around not having children um, since she, it was just something she kept bringing up. Uh, so, so I, there were parts of that episode I really enjoyed. Like you had said the, you know, seeing the, you know, the second episode, bringing in the cute London boyfriend um, was, was an interesting way to, to, to center that one. Who very much did not want to be on TV. Uh, I got the sense that he's like, I just, I never get to see my boyfriend. Would you please leave so that I can actually spend time with my yes. boyfriend? Yeah. Uh, yes. yes. That's the, that's the feeling I got too. Like, go away, please. Go away. Please go we away. need to make out and more now. So leave <laughs> so that we can do that. Um, I thought I felt like for the mother and daughter episode, there was a good um, just having. I, I like that they 
already said she had her breakthrough shot and she messed it up. They didn't linger on that, but I liked that they acknowledged it and that while, you know, she need, could use some help, I, I, I got a sense that this was like a lesser, a more toned down um, ep- episode like the one that we had with season two maybe of the guy who was like you don't deserve this makeover but we're already committed to it um yeah. so i thought they did a good job of conveying some of that stuff and i thought i thought her art was pretty darn good i don't know that much about it but it seemed like it, she had done a good job um and so it was neat to see i mean i thought i thought they balanced that one well with things that could easily just be immature young person and also, like, very relatable, you know? Like, it, it, that episode easily could have gone into spoiled brat routine. And it, it started to go that way, and then I thought they steered out of it pretty well. And then I also, like you, I thought the the final episode of the season was was really interesting. And when they had the, the therapy session and you found out that, that, at least on TV, who knows how she actually feels, the wife was, like, not, maybe not as concerned as the husband that 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 the partner was going to leave them but but that there was some concern there too that was like oh i assumed you regretted ever marrying me because of this and the whole time it's been like you've been so with the dude and like why wouldn't she leave your ass come on what's up what's what are you doing here and then i thought that that they really lucked out i guess the producers lucked out on that narrative but i thought i thought that they handled that pretty well and i can't imagine being that open with a camera crew to your life so i mean good on them for being willing to be so vulnerable yeah yeah no that that episode is just again it zags on them because they think that they're just gonna set up a date and then it's just like all right so we've got a yoga thing planned with jonathan oh no wait we need to we need to do a therapy session yeah (laughs) um so we're still gonna do the yoga thing because Jonathan needs something to do. Um, but um, yeah, we need to just also use this space for a quick therapy session. And it's just like, yeah, because it became much more intense than I think they were anticipating it being. Because even um, even Tan, when uh, Makoto just goes for, yeah, I really like this bright pink shirt. And you can tell in his head, he's just like, oh, this is going to be a very different shopping experience than what I was intending this to be. Because... I don't have to convince you of anything. You just want all of this. You just don't feel like you can. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I enjoy that the tan is like trying to tone it down, you know? <laughs> well, this makes my life too. I had a whole thing planned. So now let's go get coffee and have a really intense conversation in this coffee shop to complement the very intense conversation about children and survivor's guilt that we had mm-hmm. in a gelato shop in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> Never yeah. has a more serious conversation been had in a gelato shop. <laughs> yeah. Well, in and, and the juxtaposition <laughs> of like... Some of again the American perspective of oh these these people that we're interacting with are so closed off because they aren't physically expressive in the same way that Americans right. are with how open they are to these guys like mm-hmm. like you said in a gelato shop or yeah. at a, at a like dancing slow dancing with Anthony at the at this shop or yeah. you know after like a brief yoga session and like two seconds of therapy like. Yeah. I think that was an interesting juxtaposition and just really highlights that, you know, well, first of all, it's, it's these themes that we've talked about before, but people are people yes. regardless of where they're at. And 
just because someone doesn't communicate in the way that you are used to or you are comfortable with doesn't mean that they aren't conveying that same thing in a different manner that's just as effective and meaningful to them. Um, and rather than making everybody hug all the time, as much as, like I said, I am a hugger, 100%, I am a hugger, um, like, it would have been nice to see the guys bend a little more yeah. <laughs> towards maybe some of their heroes' communication strategies. Yeah, and I think that would have been fair, too. Yeah. Any final thoughts on this season? Where would you like them to go next if they go somewhere else next? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, um... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Europe would be fun. I'm sure they'd enjoy that. Um, I don't know. I I really like someplace different, but I mean, it's just real careful about like balancing affluence and yeah, um, that kind of a thing as well, which is something that really limits where they can go reasonably and culturally as well. I think also presents issues. So I, I mean, they basically have to stick to like northern hemisphere sorts of deals for the most part um um so yeah i don't know that they should make it like this is a recurring thing as exciting and interesting as that would be um but every now and then i think just trekking off somewhere i think for a couple episodes is fine but they shouldn't do this every year i think just because it can get it could get a little antsy and i think japan's probably as far as they'd be willing to be able to go really Mm mm-hmm Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Because they, I think they chose wisely for the yes. first one here. And this went well. But that it would be very easy for it to tip too far into uh, just into some sort of like um, navel gazing or or the same issues we were having with uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, so so threading all of that would be be tricky and but I, I would hope they you know every few years that they want to do something like this i think it would be great certainly it also helps sell the brand to other networks or other, other regions of the of the world that you know they're hoping will now use this as a gateway drug to the rest of the of the show so we'll see well do you recommend people check this out if they haven't yeah no i mean if you're gonna watch this you're already probably watching queer eye i feel like <laughs> yeah um yeah, so true. if you like queer eye then you're going to enjoy this um if you're not watching queer eye then this is good i think but you should probably just start watching queer eye at that point but this is yeah. a good sort of like soft intro with additional mm-hmm. cultural type stuff as well and shorter so yeah yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, if you show up here at the end of the episode, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse.gmail.com. You can find us in Apple Podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also over in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews both places. And of course, we're both on uh, Twitter. I am at the Televerse. Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you, Noel, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 